Thank you very much. I'll start with um, with uh, Mr. Watson. Uh, Chair Watson, how would DHHL benefit from a program uh, like the IHS Sanitation Facilities Construction Program that provides dedicated funding for construction and maintenance of water and sanitation infrastructure? Well, we would benefit tremendously from such a source. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we got to go to the legislature every year uh, to, I wouldn't call it beg, but, uh, you know, lobby for funding and uh Recently, you know, I got to say that the, this uh, legislature in 2022 was very uh, uh, generous in, in the fact that they provided about 600 million. But that 600 million goes and is used up quickly when you have all these infrastructure costs. And primary, most of that money is going to infrastructure. So if we can use uh, some federal uh, funds in lieu of that, especially with a steady stream, that would help our program tremendously because. Uh, like I said, we have 29,000 people on our wait list. We got lands that are marginal at best. And so the infrastructure is a huge, huge cost that needs to be addressed. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Tanana. Um, I've been a co-sponsor of Senator Bennett's uh, resolution um, that clarifies and affirms that the United States' trust responsibility is to ensure water access. Um, can you walk us through exactly what the Supreme Court said um, whether or not you agree with it, and what we can do about it. Yeah, th- thank you. You have three and a half minutes, not three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's complicated. Uh, first of all, though, thank you so much for your uh, co-sponsorship and support of that resolution. It talks about all of the issues we talked about today, including the trust responsibility. And so I think it's really key that that was introduced and hopefully ratified. But why did the Supreme Court go the other way, not finding a trust responsibility? Um, I'd like to note it was a close case, five to four decision. And frankly, I do think that the majority got it wrong. They did not find in Navajo treaties or other acts of Congress anything to specifically impose this fiduciary duty on the United States to assist Navajo Nation. And at that point, Navajo Nation was just asking for help in assessing where is our water? What are our needs? What is a plan? There's a lot of talk about building pipes and infrastructure in that case, which I think was kind of a distractor. This was just help in understanding what asset the government has been holding and trust in them. And if it's been misused, let's get a plan to fix it. Now, I think what's really important is that in that case, the Supreme Court explicitly recognized that Congress may enact and often has laws to assist tribal nations and others with their water needs, and that Congress has the authority to do that. And so there's no question today that Congress can affirm the trust responsibility, strengthen the fiduciary duties to tribe, and actually make it mean something. I guess the, the question I have, it's a, it's a lot easier to pass an appropriations bill than an authorizing statute. And I'm just trying to figure out whether, you know, degree of difficulty wise, if we try to establish that trust responsibility as a matter of federal statute, that could be a long battle. However, getting money to Native communities for infrastructure, I think, is an easier sell. I'm wondering whether you think that does the trick or still leaves Native communities vulnerable? What, I guess, what's your tactical advice on this? 
passing these appropriation bills, and, and that's really, right, why we're pursuing water settlements as a mean of quantifying tribal rights, is because as opposed to adjudication and litigation in court, you can include these infrastructure projects. But I think that's a challenge because tribes desperately needing water have often conceded their rights, things that they're entitled in to get those federal projects through. And so certainly that's helpful on the ground, right? That's how we got Gallup Water Supply approved. But as a practical matter, they have to extinguish claims and all that. Right. I I don't think it's our best tool. And it doesn't broadly address all 574 tribes. We'd be dealing on a tribe-by-tribe basis. And yet, as we saw with the Supreme Court, a case with Navajo Nation broadly is affecting all of our tribal nations. So you're saying, just in terms of how they got it wrong, you're saying they essentially misunderstood the assignment in the sense of um, it would have been a closer call if the question is, is, does the federal, especially executive branch, have an affirmative obligation to develop water into wet water in every instance? And you're saying that's not even what Navajo was asking for. They were just asking for help in inventorying those things that are held in trust. And if you're the... If you're the um, if you're holding something in trust, it's not unreasonable for the the um, tribe to go and say, hey, can you just tell us what we've got here, trustee? Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think that's an apt summary. And to be I'm going to go to law school. <laughs> you know, I think Congress has often recognized in all modern statutes, there's often a reference to the trust responsibility. But the way it's been worded to date, the federal, the U.S. Supreme Court did not read statutes or existence, did not read the Navajo Treaty to find that. And that's why we need congressional clarification, congressional support. Thank you very much. Vice Chair Murkowski. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's an issue we probably want to come back to and have a discussion with uh, the Assistant Secretary as well. But I, 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 want, to, I want to shift to um, uh, the issue that you raised um, Ms. Davidson, Val, you had mentioned um, in your comments the um, the O and M and how uh, critical those are. As you know, or you, I'm assuming you know, for the FY24 um, uh, appropriations, IHS requested ten million dollars to conduct a nationwide analysis to to determine the cost funding um, for O and M for tribes. And um, uh, it, they're looking at that and at this study to inform mandatory spending levels down the road um, so that when the infrastructure funds run out, um, we've got a better handle on that. But given what you know of the uh, operation and maintenance needs in Alaska villages today, I guess there's a, there's a couple questions here for you. First of all, can they wait for the results of this study um, that we really won't see until FY27? And is there, do you feel that we have sufficient um, data, that IHS has, has the data that they need now to make an informed estimate on, on O&M support, um, at least for the Alaska region for right now? Juliana, for the question, um, Vice Chair Murkowski. So let me take your um, question. So one is, the the quick answer is no. We don't think that we should wait. Um, We already have enough data in Alaska 
in fact, um, with the inclusion of an O&M study in the recent IHS congressional um, congressional de delegate justification, we know that that need is there. In Alaska, ANTHC, along with EPA, USDA, and the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, um, have already provided extensive data and feedback to the IHS in the development of numerous studies that appear to match the current proposal's intent. And, and these aren't like, you know, potential ideas. These are actual tribal utilities and their respective operation and maintenance expenses, including employee wages, benefits, electrical, engineering, energy expenses, water testing, treatment costs, and other common operational requirements. And so from our perspective, we can either spend our limited time and resources to perfect another study and make that study perfect, or we can invest in what we already know works. And the data that ANTHC has previously provided is not an estimate. These are from real systems that exist in Alaska today. And so we believe that the best investment would be to use um, those dollars to be able to fund a pilot project that would be able to extend and provide real information that the IHS could then build upon. And so really, we have a choice to make. Um, we can either fund another study or we can make an investment to protect our babies and to keep them in communities, our communities where we belong. And so, so let me let me interrupt and and, and ask ask this uh, to Mr. Smith because I think I think you have have outlined what it is that we do know. And again, it's not just numbers as you state from ANTHC, but these are from our other uh, federal agencies: EPA, USDA, the Alaska Department of, of Environmental Conservation. Mr. Smith, what do you think about? Um, um, is Davidson's suggestion about piloting the deployment of of O and M support um, in the interim, at least in in Alaska? Here, twenty seven is a long ways away, and as you've heard me detail, and certainly she has outlined it as well, the need is is extensive. Um, uh, we we have infrastructure that um, that is in place that is threatened. And so O&M support is, is pretty key. What do you think about a, a pilot? Thank, thank you, um, Vice Chair Mikowski, for the, the question. I think push that button there. Oh. Are you able to hear now? Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, we, first off, we absolutely agree that off, operation and maintenance funds are necessary to ensure the sanitation facilities projects can remain functional for their entire usable life. I, I think... That's that's just given. We have enough to see out there. And as you mentioned, thank you for um, mentioning the what's proposed in the president's budget request uh, to, for a, for a study. I also want to point out that the budget also requests 250 million per year for operation and um, maintenance activ activities starting in fiscal year 27, which would be the final year of the uh, the bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure uh, law appropriations when those end. So in order to look at this, we are, 
we are looking at every opportunity possible. So we would love to learn more about what's being proposed as a pilot and whether that falls within our existing scope of authority. So, well, we would we would encourage you to look at that. Um, again, I don't think anybody feels like we need to have another study to know that we've got a very extensive list when it comes to to O and M needs. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Cortez Masto. Thank you. Thank you to the chairman and, and, and ranking member for this important uh, discussion today. And uh, it, it, it's actually pretty timely for, for what we're dealing with in Nevada. And I, I want to touch on that a little bit. A study was published uh, last year by um, Nevada-based Desert Research Institute in partnership with uh, the Gwynn Center. And they found that tribal water access in Nevada lags behind the rest of the nation. Nevada had a higher rate of Native American homes without without indoor plumbing, a growing rate of plumbing poverty, and an increase in the number of Safe Drinking Water Act violations in Nevada. Now, combine these circumstances with the unprecedented drought uh, across the Southwest, and it's clear that there's a lot of work uh, we have to do, not just in Nevada, but across the country. And so I'm very proud we, we passed um, legislation Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, Inflation Reduction Act, to start focusing federal dollars and investments in our tribal communities, um, Native Hawaiian and Native Alaskan communities uh, uh, across this country. But I want to bring to your attention one issue that I I really – I need an answer and help from the federal government with addressing. So I'm going to approach – actually direct this question to Mr. Smith and Assistant Secretary Newland because the correlation between investment in water infrastructure and health outcomes, it's well-documented. One example of what underinvestment and lack of oversight can result in is in uh, the town of Owehi. Uh, it's located in within the Duck Valley Shoshone Paiute Reservation in northern Nevada. The water supply was contaminated as a result of improper disposal of diesel and other oils through a shallow well within a BIA maintenance shop located on the reservation. The proximity of this contaminated water deposit to the 70-year-old Owehi Combined School, where tribal members have been educated for generations, has caused hundreds of children to be exposed to these dangerous toxins. Now, over 100 tribal members in the area have died of cancer over the years, and that's an extraordinary number for a tribe of around 3,000 members. So these deaths are likely the result of contamination that started in the 50s. So my question, gentlemen, to you is can you provide an update on BIA's plan for remediation of the reservation's water supply. Thank you uh, for the question, Senator. And and I've had a chance to uh, speak directly with tribal leadership up there on the Duck Valley Reservation about this issue. Uh, I know our team has as well. We've invested uh, or committed rather um, $1.2 million on uh, the uh, assessment work that the tribe has asked for uh, related to the contamination as well as to assist in the development of a remediation plan. And we're going to continue to work with uh, leadership from the tribe there on on those issues. Um, I know also uh, that there there were concerns about, uh, you know, the school. Relocating the school. Yeah, relocating the school, uh, which is, my understanding, is a a state-funded public school. Uh, but we're trying to assist the tribe uh, with the assessment of remediation work. And in, in, ter- in terms of the, uh, the study that you also referenced for, um, you know, the, the cancer rates, I've had a chance to speak with Deputy 
Director Smith and Director So about this issue uh, fairly recently um, in trying to coordinate uh, between our agencies the appropriate uh, folks to respond to the tribe. Well, and I appreciate that, and I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, I I look forward to continued conversations with all of you to make sure we're taking action and doing right here uh, at the end of the day. Yes, we're going to relocate the school. State funding has kicked in, but I do think there's a federal obligation here because of contamination, my understanding is that because of the BIA maintenance facility. So I am hopeful that uh, you all and are telling us what we need to do uh, here at a federal level uh, in Congress, but working together to address this and not taking time to get it done because it's already uh, taken too much time, uh, as we have seen. Uh, let me. Uh, my time is running out, so thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that. Um, le- let me jump to an issue also. And in, in Ms. Tanana, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the conversation. I'm going to jump to an issue that I also believe is something and a barrier we have to deal with, which is a workforce-related issue. It's one thing to get all these federal funds available, all these great projects into our tribal community, but I also hear from from my tribes there's a challenge, particularly in their rural areas, about a workforce. How how do we put these projects together? Where's the workforce? What do we need to be doing uh, with respect to a workforce uh, that is deficient to, to move forward on some of these projects that are important. Uh, and I hate to put it all on you. If you have any ideas, uh, that would be helpful. Um, thank you for bringing that up because that is one of the biggest barriers on getting this historic investment, the bill IJA IRA funds out. It's great, but if tribes cannot access it because they don't have that capacity to apply for these complex grants from multiple agencies, we're not going to get there. And I think putting it in context, right, it's important to – acknowledged federal government contributed to those capacity issues with the boarding school removals. You took our engineers, you took our leaders, and we're healing from that still. Um, Notwithstanding amazing hydrologists like Crystal Tulio Cordova, right, Navajo Nation, best hydrologists I know, but more are needed. And I think maybe tying it in with education programs, um, these circuit riders, that these ideas are floating around of having tribal circuit riders to come out and do trainings, but it has to be of the local people. And we can't just continually have outsiders come in because we know they'll stay for a little while and then they leave. And so I think there are broader systems. We have a couple reports that talk about tribal capacity specifically that I've referenced in my written testimony. But critical issue. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and to our vice chair for this important hearing. Um, Speaker Curley, welcome. It's good to see you again as well. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to ask for unanimous consent to enter a statement from Dig Deep into the record, which highlights the extraordinary water access gap that tribal households are facing. With Without action, Mr. Chairman, insufficient federal funding will remain a significant barrier to Indian water right settlements. Insufficient annual appropriations has also caused construction delays and increased total project costs. Assistant Secretary Newland, yes or no, does the Bureau of Indian Affairs plan to ask for additional appropriations for Indian water right settlements in future budget requests? Mr. Senator, uh, may I say yes and uh, yes, it, it, it's part of the mandatory funding uh, proposal that we've submitted to Congress for Indian water rights settlements over the next decade. I would also like to point out that maintenance of project infrastructure is just as important as constructing it. Uh, the line of questioning we've heard from colleagues today, it seems that we all agree here. 
Assistant Secretary Newland, yes or no, would expanding the Indian Water Rights Completion Fund help meet our trust responsibility to tribes with enacted water rights settlements? Yes. And how is in the Department of Interior coordinating with reclamation to ensure costs for Indian water rights settlements projects do not surpass their authorizations requiring additional action from Congress? I think that's uh, – thank you, Senator. That's an, that's an ongoing effort to make sure that this work starts in a timely manner before uh, costs can rise uh, uh, beyond what was contemplated in the settlement. And so it's, it's, it's been a priority of ours uh, at the department, both Reclamation and Indian Affairs and, and the other offices involved to get started as quickly as we can to avoid those scenarios. That's, that's one important way to avoid that. I appreciate that. And now yesterday I was proud to introduce legislation to waive 50% cost share for tribes for water smart grants, which receive $1 billion from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Reclamation recently put out a notice for the water smart grants with a reduced cost share, but stopped short of waiving the cost share for tribes. Assistant Secretary Newland, yes or no, does the presence of even a reduced cost share limit tribal access to federal funds? Yes. And yes or no, do you agree that Congress should waive the cost share entirely for tribes whenever it can? Senator, respectfully, I want to uh, defer to my colleagues uh, within the Bureau of Reclamation uh, and follow up on on that question because I know it bears uh, on consideration of other legislation that's pending. I'm surprised by that answer. Um, Sorry, Senator. The answer should be yes. Um, We hear the problems with tribe after tribe. The question that went to miss to Nana associated with technical expertise to even go after a grant. And how many tribes are in a position financially, if they secure it, then they can't come up with the cost share. Um, I, I don't mean to go on a tangent, Mr. Chairman, but I'm about to. There was um, a, a, a project where a bridge went out in Manuelito. And there was a declaration. FEMA came forward, put the money forward. There was still a question on cost share. But BIA said, we're not going to give you the easement because of all the, the process that it takes. What should have taken 12 months took 12 years. We finally broke ground on this. Cost shares, not, lack of support technically, or agencies not working together result in projects not being completed. And I'm hopeful we can find a way to get there um, with some of this. I, I apologize for that, Mr. Chairman. Now, earlier this year, like every year, um, I asked the leadership from the Navajo Nation, namely NTUA, um, to give me numbers of families that are not connected to water and wastewater, electricity and broadband. Um, and the numbers I got this year uh, from the Navajo Nation was approximately 15,500 Navajo households are nearly double those that I get when I ask IHS. SES list for the area office as well. So, Mr. Smith, yes or no, does IHS have adequate staff to fully quantify the water access gap on tribal lands? Uh, no, no, we do not. However, we are um, working within the, the resources and some of the examples that were provided to address the workload issues as we move forward. But short answer is no. Does the Department of Interior the Indian Affairs collect the data, Assistant Secretary? Uh, I'm not sure about that, Senator. Uh, but I can confirm that for you shortly. I appreciate that. And the, the reason for this question, Mr. Chairman and to our vice chair, is that there should be data that we can rely on that progress is being made. When we are able to work together to pass bipartisan infrastructure packages as well 
to make sure that that number in this case drops from 15,500 to 10,500 in a year and then down to zero at some point, understanding that there may be some additional numbers. I'm constantly and consistently frustrated by the lack of that data gathering and consistent data in this space. And I hope that's somewhere that we can have a more robust conversation, look at methodology, understand what may or may not be occurring in that space so that we can move forward with funding, especially given the decision that came down from the Supreme Court so that we can just have initiatives for water settlements and move forward to ensure that our brothers and sisters are able to get the water um, that is theirs. Uh, so I appreciate that, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair, as well. Thank you very much, uh, Senator Lujan. Senator Hoven. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it. Uh, Director Smith, uh, my staff's uh, been in contact with yours uh, regarding efforts that we've been working on with both the uh, Devil's Lake community in North Dakota, um, but also with the uh, Spirit Lake tribe. Um, the existing hospital in Devil's Lake is a critical access hospital um, that serves the entire lake region. So the community, the tribe, and, and the whole region. Um, but there's widespread concern about uh, the hospital and, and, and care there, not because the employees. The employees, are, the employees there are, are great. Uh, and, and they're doing a, a super job. The, the problem is um, getting investment into that hospital. It's a critical access care hospital, so it means it's it's the only one that can have that designation in a 35-mile radius. And as you know, that provides better reimbursement rates. But that hospital needs investment, and the uh, parent company is not doing that. And so uh, I would like to know what role Indian Health Services uh, can play in helping us get needed investment in that rural hospital to serve that community, that rural area, and, and the tribe, the Spirit Lake tribe. Uh, th thank you, Senator Hoven, for the, the question. Um, certainly, we acknowledge the, the serious challenges that Devil's Lake is experiencing right now and um, certainly aware of, of the um, services that are provided to, to members of the Spirit Lake tribe within that facility. Um, in terms of, of what's available under the, the um, bipartisan um, uh, funding, uh, no, I little... want to know any and all tools that you okay. have under any and all funding or any, any funding or any authorities or anything you else, else you have that can help us get the Common Spirit Parrot Company to make the needed investment in that hospital for the benefit of the tribe as well as all the people that live in this Lake Region area. Any and all authorities and funding you have, not limited to any specific bill. Okay, understood. Well, I, I don't I, – I, our answer for the Indian Health Service funding is going to be limited, but as um, we know that the uh, Spirit Lake Tribe is operating under Title V of the Indian Self-Determination Education Assistance Act, we would be happy to partner with them and have conversations about means that they might be utilizing or plans uh, that they have within the local community with the federal funding that they have uh, awarded through their uh, self-governance compact and funding agreement. So I'd be happy to uh, take that back to the agency and, uh, and work with the tribe. Would you be willing to sit down with my office and strategize on any uh, 
anything that any possibilities that we can undertake to help uh, with this uh, very important challenge? We would be happy to provide any technical assistance once requested. Yeah, no, we really do need your help here in figuring out how we get this needed investment for benefit of the tribe and the region. So I, I, we really do need you to sit down with us and strategize, and, of course, with the tribe as well. Um, but we need to know what you can do to help get this problem solved. Understood. And we're very aware of um, other communities where a tribal health program or the Indian Health Service may be the only shop in town which is a little bit of the inverse of the situation. Well, you know, this is this is different. I mean, it's a different situation, but it's one that's, that I think not only really important in this case, but I think, you know, if we can come up with some good solutions here, will help in a lot of other cases as well. So we need your, your best creativity and your good ideas to help us, uh, you know, meet this challenge. Thank you very much. We'll be happy to help. Good. Thank you. Appreciate it, uh, Director. Uh, and then my other question is to... Uh, uh, Assistant Secretary Newland, um, regarding the Tribal Trust Grant Program, again, Spirit Lake on Devil's Lake, or the, as they call it, Spirit Lake, uh, and then also our Standing Rock Sioux Tribe on the Missouri River, um, both have uh, grants related to uh, tourism and utilization of their water resources for that uh, purpose. Uh, so will you commit to work with the tribes both those tribes and see how we can. And then, of course, we have three affiliated on Lake Skakawea, which you're well aware of. Um, you know, how do we better pair water resource development with economic development opportunities? Uh, thank you, Senator. It's great to see you. Uh, I appreciate the question. Uh, absolutely would be willing to work with uh, tribal leadership on on those issues and uh as uh, somebody who was uh, previously the leader of a tribe uh, on Lake Superior, I understand very well the importance of um, you know, uh, water and, and economic development uh, for tribal communities and would be uh, happy to talk with leadership from the tribes. Yeah, with your background, uh, there's some great opportunities there in all three cases and, and some others that you could be very helpful with because uh, all of the tribes want to see if they can't do some more, I think, very beneficial things, not just with water use, but with tourism. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Hoven. Senator Daines. Chairman Schatz, Vice Chairman Murkowski, thank you. And thanks to your staff for working with me to include the Fort Belknap Indian Community Water Rights Settlement Act, NDAA. It's a big deal. Settles the last, last oh, water rights battle we have in uh, Indian country. It's a big deal for Montana. It's also a big deal for our nation. Uh, I'm grateful for all the work and support you've given us to finish the last Indian water settlement in the state of Montana. In this hearing, is perfectly timed to examine the importance of water rights settlements. Finalizing Montana's settlements has been a bipartisan effort in the state for decades. Really goes back, feels like almost over a century. And through years of hard work, sometimes tough negotiations, we're very close to bringing certainty to tribal and non-tribal water users all across Montana. Without finalized settlements, our farmers, our ranchers, our water users are left in limbo. And if Congress doesn't act, then these issues will play out in the courts, where no one is a winner except for lawyers and everybody is harmed. We can and we must get the Fort Belknap Indian Community Water Rights Settlement Act to the President's desk this year, and I'll be working very hard every day to make sure that happens. Assistant Secretary Newland, 
The Senate has already included the Fort Belknap settlement in this year's NDAA. This settlement was a negotiation between the states, the federal government, and the tribe. Do you agree it's important to finalize this agreement? I do, Senator. Thank you for the question. And and as you uh, recall, I was able to testify in support of that bill earlier this year. We appreciate that. I think that was part of continuing the momentum uh, forward to to get really a bipartisan agreement here through and um, and finalized. Um, this probably is an easy question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, will you commit to working with us to ensure that this bill stays in the NDAA and is signed into law this year? Uh, yes, Senator. We'll continue to work with you and, and others interested in this bill. Appreciate it. Speaker Curley, uh, as a leader of the Navajo Nation, you know firsthand the importance of finalizing water settlements. Can you explain what it means for tribal and non-tribal stakeholders to have the certainty that water settlements bring and the importance of working this out to the settlement process versus the courts? Thank you, Senator Dennis. Uh, nice to see you as well. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, overall, completing water compact agreements with tribes, including the Navajo Nation, is important for several reasons. Uh, first, number one, protecting our water rights. Water compacts provide a legal framework to protect and secure uh, water rights for tribal communities and also promoting economic development. Access to water is crucial for economic activities such as agriculture, industry, and tourism. Uh, water impact enables tribes to have certainty and control over their water resources, which leads to job creation, increased revenues, and improved living, uh, living standards. Um, also, another reason is supporting environmental uh, stewardship. Water compacts allow tribes to participate in the management and preservation of water resources, promoting sustainable practices and protecting ecosystem. And most importantly, upholding uh, trust sovereignty, uh, upholding tribal sovereignty. Uh, completing water compacts is a crucial step in recognizing tribal sovereignty and self-governance, and it grants tribes the authority to manage their water resources and make decisions that best serve their communities. So uh, for, for the Navajo Nation specifically, uh, water impacts are crucial due to our historical water shortages, uh, our geographical location, and the need to address water scarcity, infrastructure development, and most importantly, health disparities. So thank you, uh, Senator, for that question. Well, it's really dry in uh, northern Montana, but it's a lot drier in Arizona. So I know you understand the importance of water very, very well. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Vice Chair Murkowski. <clears throat> thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, this is this is uh, probably one last question for you, uh, Dur uh, Deputy Director Smith. Um, there was there's been conversation about workforce. Uh, there's been conversation about increased costs um, due to supply chain issues. Um, and uh, just the cost of, of, of labor overall. Um, you, have, you have indicated that um, we've got some newly identified sanitation deficiencies and to update the cost estimates, 
due to increase um, all of these various costs that I mentioned, this $65.5 million that, um, uh, that it has been announced, is this, how much of this is, is tied to inflation? I guess where I'm going with the question is whether or not you are going to need to expand this funding um, for, for project shortfalls in, in future years. I'm wondering, is this going to be adequate to get you where you need to get, or because of all of these other factors that are out there, are you worried about a shortfall? Uh, th- thank you, Senator Murkowski, for the, the, the question. And, you know, this, uh, if I understand your question, it relates to maybe how we're managing cost overruns and right. shortfalls in some of the, the, um, the projects. Um, yeah, we've, we've been learning a lot. Uh, I think just like anybody else who's uh, doing any construction these days that, you know, prices have changed. Uh, we've, we're confronting supply um, challenges just to complete anything or with workforce. So what we've been doing based on our uh, projections is that we have identified an amount and are retaining approximately $65 million at our headquarters to address these uh, project shortfalls. Um, So this amount is retained at our headquarters and is based on projections and information that we're receiving from the areas, all 12 IHS areas, based on uh, fiscal year 22. And what that um, amounts to is looking at the information around the time when uh, contract documents were completed and bids were able to go out. And um, some of the the changes in price, whether it's a result of inflation, material costs, fuel costs, labor costs, I mean, there's there's multiple factors that play into this. Um, so that helped us identify the initial amount. So in 22, we retain, in fiscal year 22, we retained 21.6 million for cost overruns and experienced about a 30 to 40 percent change in some of the projects. What we're doing in with within the current need of 43.7 that's been projected is that we are evaluating and distributed on a, on a needed basis. So to date, we have distributed about 28.5 million to over half of our IHS areas. And we're gonna continue to monitor projects and request from our areas to have updated data to make the needed adjustments. So it adjustments. sounds like you're still, you're, you're, you've got concerns about shortfalls that you may anticipate. Um, you know, we're all watching what is happening with with higher prices of, of oil and what that means from fuel costs. You know, that certainly factors into everything that we're trying to do in Alaska because, of course, everything needs to be flown up as it does, or it's either flown up or barged in, in the case of Alaska or Hawaii. So that just is going to increase our costs. You also said something in in both your written and your, your stated testimony about um, uh, the, the, the limitation um, through the uh, infrastructure funds. You stated that it's possible the average project duration could be greater than the current average project duration of 3.6 years. Uh, infrastructure bill restricts program support funding to federal activities, which means that tribes that operate their uh, their projects directly can't access this. I'm trying to understand what that means for a state like Alaska, where 
oh my goodness, my soul, if we could finish a project in three years, we would be hap, hap, happy. It just doesn't happen when, you're, when your building season is, is really like three months long. And so how, is, there, is there a time limitation here that we should be worried about where um, because of, again, either supply chain issues where you can't get the materials necessary, everyone's looking for pipe, everyone's looking for, for plumbing stuff, um, or you have um, construction issues in a place like uh, Alaska where we're not going to be able to access the monies that we think we're going to be able to access because we've got a time limit here. Absolutely. I, I think all of those factors play in. And when you talk about an average, it means there's <laughs> some projects can be completed super quick. Right. Others are going to be longer. Ours so it, I think quick. it really depends on the type of projects that are at, at play. But you know, part of the correlation with the infusion of additional funds, which we're very thankful for, um, also increases the workload. So, as, right, as but I, if you can't get the workforce, which Ms. Right. Tanana has has mentioned, and in some cases you can't get the materials because we're just not we're not manufacturing them like we need to. What do we do? Right. So what we've what we've done is taken an, uh, an approach that we're looking at all sources. So we know that uh, tribal health programs, for example, have access to their own architectural engineering firms. We're encouraging uh, procurement through, through that means. We've been working with our colleagues at Interior uh, and the Bureau of Reclamation to see what types of activities could be completed with them, as well as the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, it's really looking at every opportunity possible to maximize, one, the engineering capacity, but then, two, the acquisition component to procure uh, these, ac these activities. Um, I, I would like to give you a, a more detailed response, if, yes. if we could provide you um, updates? Well, I, I think better than that, I, I'd like it if you and your team could could meet with our folks. Um, maybe we get some of the folks from uh, ANTHC uh, with with uh, Ms. Davidson. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to map out and understand because we've just got a lot of variables, a lot of factors that are coming into play that when we started this whole thing out a few years ago, on paper, it all looked good. But I don't want to be in a position where we have, we have finally answered people's prayers by saying, you're going to get all of this federal money, there's a lot in the pipeline, but then we just can't stuff it in to the, to the limited capacity pipe that we have here. So um, I think this is something that we all need to be working on. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Vice Chair. If there are no more questions for our witnesses, members may also submit follow-up written questions for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks, and I want to thank all of the witnesses for their time and their testimony today. This hearing is adjourned.